that Brother Alviar preached to me. God bless you. Take your liberty. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord one more time? Amen. 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 I greet you in the name of Jesus, which is still the only name under heaven, given among men whereby we must be saved. Amen. I'm glad I'm a one God apostolic Christian today. Hallelujah. There is no other kind. Hallelujah. There is no other kind of Christian. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You know what? You may be seated here for just a few moments. Amen. I've got some things I'd like to say today. And uh, I do want to first say what an honor and treat it has been for us to be here. And uh, we have been so blessed. Uh, the Bible said that the less is blessed of the better. And I can definitely say that I have been blessed this week to be here. And uh, I honor and Elder Riggin and Sister Riggin, and I greatly appreciate the time and opportunity that we've been able to spend with them, and I do feel like I've been blessed of the better to be with them. And um, I, I just wanted to say this. I kind of alluded to this somewhat Thursday night, um, but I hope that this church understands that, that uh, your role in the kingdom has advanced. Amen. It's advanced. And because of uh, the Lord's hand upon your pastor and his role in Zimbabwe, uh, it, it requires a different kind of church. And uh, it requires a different kind of leadership, a different kind of pastor. And uh, the kind of pastor that you have is not found in every city in America. Well, praise the Lord. I said it's not found in every city in America. You have what the Bible would call an apostle for a pastor. Praise the Lord. Because an apostle was one who propagated the gospel, spread the gospel to other lands, and that's what you have. Praise the Lord. You have an apostle for a pastor. And I feel like the Lord's hand is upon him mightily to do the work overseas. Amen. And I listened to him. I think it was Friday night. We got to talking about Zimbabwe. And um, when I first heard of the efforts there, it greatly piqued my interest uh, because I, I have always thought that of all the continents in the world that Africa was the most unchurched. And uh, I felt like the Lord had a work yet to do in Africa. And so when I heard of what was going on and, and the way that the Lord was moving, let me just say, you cannot orchestrate things like what has happened. You cannot design them. You can't mastermind them. You, you just can't do that. And uh, I really feel like the Lord is upon your pastor. And uh, I, I told him this the other day in person, and I don't mind saying it to this church, but there, if there are hands that decide to intervene in the work, they are in trouble with God. They are in trouble with God. Amen. And uh, God doesn't need uh, other folks to jump in and, and tell him how to run things. Praise the Lord. And, I, and Elder Riggin didn't ask me to say this, and, and uh, maybe this makes him uncomfortable. I hope not. But I, I could just say today that, that uh, I, I am grateful to have had the opportunity to spend time with him this week. 
And uh, there are few, few, few ministries in, in the uh, world today that I know of that are being used in this manner. And uh, I greatly appreciate the opportunity to spend some time with him. Praise the Lord. And uh, I tell you what, I have enjoyed being here in this church. The spirit of the Lord that's here, the presence of God, the spirit of worship that is evident here. Amen. You know what? If you don't enjoy coming to church, there's not something wrong with the church. There's not something wrong with your pastor. There's something wrong with you. Well, praise the Lord. In, in this kind of atmosphere, you can get everything you need. Well, praise the Lord. You can get everything you need. Hallelujah. You never make a wrong turn when you pull into the church parking lot. You never make a bad decision when you walk into those double doors. Praise the Lord. You never make a bad decision when you choose to come and worship the Lord in his house. Hallelujah. In fact, are you grateful to be here today? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And uh, uh, this week has caused me a great deal of consternation because without having the opportunity to speak with Elder Riggin and knowing him, I, I didn't know, um, first of all, uh, myself, how I would be in such a circumstance like this, but I tell you what, I felt the Lord working on my heart, and uh, I sought the Lord earnestly and, and diligently, and I feel like the Lord laid on my heart four messages right after another of all the things that he wanted me to say, and I have sought the Lord some more to see if perhaps it was flesh. But I feel today that the Lord has laid another message on my heart. Amen, amen. Praise the Lord. And uh, I do also want to say again, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to have my wife and sons here today. And uh, I think it was Thursday night we told Jonathan something about P-R-E-A-C-H. Okay, we spell things right now at our house. Praise the Lord, P-R-E-A-C-H. And uh, <laughs> so at some point, amen, I might let him quote a scripture. Praise the Lord, amen, amen. In fact, why don't you come, Jonathan, come here right now, baby. He has a memory verse, and this is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Come here, son. Say it loud. Okay. Andres. Andres. Andres is and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Heaven, and the Father, and the Prince of Peace. All right. Praise the Lord. Amen, amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. If you get that revelation, you've got the best thing you could ever get. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand with me today? Let's go to the word of the Lord. Praise the Lord. Romans chapter number 12, if you will turn with me, please. Romans chapter 12, we're going to read one single verse of Scripture, verse number 9. This is as simple as it gets right here. The Bible says, let love be without dissimulation. In other words, pretense. Abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. That's as simple as it gets. Abhor that which is evil 
and cleave to that which is good. Praise the Lord. Amen. I'm going to endeavor to speak to you for a little while this evening on learning to hate to survive and to love to live. Praise the Lord. Can you lift your hands and ask God to have his way one more time? Oh, everybody, lift your voice. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Amen, amen. You may be seated today. On June 25th, 1950, the armies of North Korea began their assault and invasion upon South Korea. And in response to the invasion, or the believed uh, coming invasion, on uh, June 30th, uh, 1950, President Harry Truman authorized General Douglas MacArthur to commit ground forces under his command to Korea for the defense of South Korea. The initial force was to make contact with the enemy and fight some sort of delaying action so that uh, they could get reinforcements and even full battalions of troops into place to begin to fight and defend the land of South Korea. Uh, MacArthur called this force an uh, arrogant display of strength that he hoped would fool the North Koreans into believing that the armies were already in place and already deployed to fight. Uh, and so uh, some officers assumed that this small force would even give the North Koreans pause to think maybe they should think twice about their assault on South Korea given the recent uh, uh, victory, total victory of the U.S. over Japan. But this small unit was called uh, Task Force Smith, and uh, they were named for their commanding officer, Lieutenant Colonel Smith. It was comprised of 406 officers and men, and as the preparations were so hurried, uh, each man was issued only 120 rounds of ammunition and two days' worth of sea rations. Uh, most of the men were 20 years old and younger, uh, in fact, only one-sixth of them had, had even seen combat. Uh, the men of Task Force Smith uh, were based in Japan, and they left on the morning of July 1st. Major General William Dean, the 24th Division Commander, ordered Smith to block the main road to Pusan as far north as possible. The Americans took up the position 
but they soon found that they were vulnerable to attack and they lacked the means to stop any force of real significance. And so while they are there in place on July 5th, a battle began to ensue. First, uh, Smith ordered his men to conduct registration fire just to kind of let them know that they were there and alert the enemy of their position uh, as well as to test a uh, distance for future combat. Uh, and soon before they, they had a chance to really group themselves together well, a column of eight Korean tanks rumbled across their position. And uh, as they were ill-equipped to combat such an enemy, uh, they were barely able to stop the advance. And, and as, in fact, as soon as they had disabled those eight tanks, they looked up and to their dismay saw another 33 tanks heading in their direction on the horizon. And before long, there appeared another line of troops on the horizon, this time a unit of several dozen tanks in a column of over 5,000 North Korean troops. And so Smith held his position as long as he dared, but the casualties mounted rapidly, praise the Lord. His men were down to less than 20 rounds of ammunition apiece, and the enemy was threatening, threatening to cut off their position. And so Smith decided to order a retreat, but that soon proved to be further disastrous. Of the 250 remaining men, 82 of those were then captured. Uh, these 82 men were then uh, quickly added to other POWs, which included a British commando and several uh, South Korean soldiers and civilians. And, and after they were rounded up, uh, they, they found um, that they were assigned to the direction of a man who was so brutal and so cruel that he would be nicknamed the Tiger. Uh, he was a murderous man. In fact, as uh, soon as the task force members uh, were attached to his command, uh, one of the first things he did was walk up to a lieutenant uh, and he put a pistol to his head and killed him right there and then for shock value. Uh, the column of POWs was marched uh, by the tiger to a place where they would be held. And along the way, no doubt from sheer exhaustion, some from fear, uh, some because of, of hunger, weariness, loss of blood, uh, began to fall by the wayside. And the tiger's response to that was to simply walk up and execute them instead of tending or treating them. Uh, and once they got to the camps, they found that the camps were no better. Many of them died of hunger. They died of exposure and disease while they were there. Uh, prisoners reached such levels of desperation that some were even seen eating human excrement in order to, to survive the hunger that they felt. Uh, these POWs from this initial task force uh, on day one of conflict uh, were held through the entirety of the Korean conflict uh, and were only released after the signing of the armistice on 1953 in August. Uh, the POWs uh, who had survived the atrocities uh, uh, that they endured uh, and the march by this tiger were soon branded as being tiger survivors. Praise the Lord, tiger survivors. Uh, uh, the reason why I mention this history at all is that I had the privilege to meet 
one of the Tiger survivors. His name was Earl Colby, uh, and uh, he was a, an apostolic, praise the Lord. Uh, and he mentioned the story to me one day almost casually as I was visiting, visiting the church he was attending, which was my father-in-law's church. And, and uh, he came up to me. He was a tall Texan with clear blue eyes. They were the strangest color of blue I think I'd ever seen. They, they, they spoke uh, of having seen atrocity. And uh, these piercing blue eyes uh, captivated me. I had to ask him uh, some questions uh, as he began to tell me about his experiences uh, in the camps uh, and, and along the march and having survived uh, uh, the, this thing called the Tiger March. Uh, evidently in and among these North Korean soldiers was a man who was surreptitiously taking photos uh, uh, to try to spread to the world to show the dangers of the North Korean regime. And the photos that he took were released at some point during the conflict. Brother Colby one night brought me some of the pictures of the men along the march. And one particular picture, you can see the column of soldiers as they are marching. They are rugged looking. They have been beaten. They have uh, been uh, tormented by this man called the tiger. Many of them, you can see obvious bandages and wounds. You can see uh, all kinds of things, uh, bandages around the eyes, arms uh, pulled up, uh, men assisting other men as they are staggering amidst their misery and suffering. And in the middle of the group, there is a, a tall man standing there and his eyes are looking directly at the camera and you can see it's Brother Colby and he has uh, this look in his face like he is ready to kill anything that comes on his way. And uh, this, of course, uh, was this brother. And so I, I looked at that photo and you can see the sheer desperation on the faces around him. And he has such a different disposition. I asked him the only logical question. I said, Brother Colby, how did you survive? How did you make it through this? Uh, and though he passed away about two years ago, uh, his answer still rings in my ears. He told me, he said, I had to learn to hate to survive. I had to learn to hate to survive. He said, I hated that tiger. I hated that land, I hated the food, I hated my imprisonment, I hated my captors, I hated everything about that experience with such a hatred that it carried me through the event. Oh, hallelujah, I would like to tell you today that hate is a word that many of us are afraid to use. We're afraid to use it because we live in a politically correct environment and we teach our kids that hate is a strong word. I come from the Atlanta area and let me tell you that they talk a lot about hatred and they talk a lot about bias and I think I understand the reasons for it but in that environment they don't want anybody to hate anything. Well, praise the Lord. But I'm going to tell you here today that you and I are also in a struggle. You or I are also in a fight. You, are, you and I are also in a battle for our very survival. And if you and I are going to make it through this, we are going to have to learn to hate some things. 
Well, praise the Lord. Ezekiel 35 and 6 says, Therefore, as I live, saith the Lord God, I will prepare thee unto blood, and blood shall pursue thee, since thou hast not hated blood. Even blood shall pursue thee. He told them, he said, because you didn't hate it, that's what you got. Because you didn't hate blood, I've prepared it for you. And it's going to follow you because you did not hate it. I'm going to tell you today that for our very survival, we are going to have to learn to hate some things. Oh, we should never put ourselves in a position where we do not hate the things that God hates. Well, praise the Lord. God is not just some big teddy bear in the sky, but he has some things that he even hates. And God help us if we learn to love the things that God hates. Well, praise the Lord. When God hates it, you and I ought to hate it. When he calls it an abomination unto him, it ought to be an abomination unto us. When he says, I hate it, you and I ought to hate it too. Amen. Hallelujah. There ought to be something in us that says if it displeases God to the point he says he hates it, I'm going to learn to hate it too. Well, praise the Lord, somebody. Amen. Let me tell you a few things that we ought to learn to hate. And first on my list, you and I ought to learn to hate the devil. Well, praise the Lord. Just recently they released some statistics that say a large percentage of so-called Christians do not believe in a literal heaven or a literal hell. And they do not believe in a literal devil. Now let me tell you, not only is he real, but God hates him and so do I. First Peter 5 and 8 says be sober, be vigilant because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour whom resist steadfast in the faith knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. I didn't pick him as an adversary but he picked me as an adversary because I am a child of the king. Let me tell you today if God hates the devil, so do I. I hate his actions. I hate his purpose. I hate his cause. I hate his destruction. I hate the terrible path that he has left in his wake. I hate the devil. Amen. Let me tell you, you are not going to make it out of this world unless you develop a sincere hatred for him. Well, praise the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. I could dwell on these a while. Amen. I'm going to try to keep moving. Let me tell you, number two, I hate evil. The Bible says in Proverbs 8, 13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance in the evil way and the forward mouth do I hate. Oh, hallelujah. There is an evil element of our society Hallelujah. And they've got their forward mouths. And let me tell you, the fear of the Lord is to hate those things. Hallelujah. If you want to fear the Lord, it starts out with hating this, this evil day. Hating these evil ways. Praise the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. 
There's plenty of it in Hollywood. We're seeing plenty of hate from ISIS in the Middle East. We're seeing plenty of hate between this one and that one. But let me tell you, we need to learn to hate evil. Well, praise the Lord. Number three, I hate false doctrine. Praise the Lord. Psalms 119, 104. Through thy precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Oh, hallelujah. I hate false doctrine. I hate how it is confused, folks. I hate how it is destroyed whole churches. I hate how it is destroyed ministries that had power and influence in our day. I hate false doctrine. Hallelujah, I hate the cunning and craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. I hate how they twist the word of God to their own means, which usually means to the advantage of their pocketbook. Amen, I hate false doctrine. I would rather forward myself over, myself over to the word of God and pay attention to the precepts. Amen, I hate false doctrine. I hate wickedness, praise the Lord. Proverbs 8 and 7, for my mouth shall speak truth, and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. Amen. More than just evil. Amen. Wickedness is something that you do. Hallelujah. It's not just something you are. It's something you do. Praise the Lord. I hate wickedness. I hate the wicked day that we live in. I pray God forgive this wicked land for our wicked abominations that we have begun to do in our midst. I hate how we can speak evil of dignities with our mouth and we aren't even stirred. We aren't even changed. Hallelujah. I'm here to tell you I hate it. I hate wickedness. Oh, I hope somebody's hearing me today. You're going to have to learn to hate some things to survive. Number five, I hate the flesh. Praise the Lord. Jude 1, 23 and says, says oh, and others say with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Amen. Let me tell you, you are not going to make it if you learn to pet your flesh. You're going to have to learn this car- to hate this carcass that you carry around. Praise the Lord. You're going to have to learn to hate on it. You're going to learn, have to learn to do some fasting and praying to put it under subjection. Amen. Not because you just love the Lord, but because you also hate this flesh. The flesh is exceedingly wicked. Amen. The Bible says that sin and evil is bound in the heart of a child. Amen. When you are born, you are born with something that has the potential to destroy you. And unless you learn to hate it, you just may fall prey to it. Oh, it'll be the flesh that'll rise up when the pastor says no to something. It'll be the flesh that rises up when the standard draws a line across something that you like to do. Well, praise the Lord. It'll be the flesh that rises up when position and placement goes to somebody else down the road in the church. 
It'll be the flesh that rises up, hallelujah. In all kinds of situations, you're gonna have to learn to hate the flesh. Oh, hallelujah. I hate spiritual duplicity. Psalms 101 and three says, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. Amen. Let me tell you, I hate that, that some of the people I have put my trust and faith in as ministry have turned away from God. But I hate their duplicitous ways. I hate how that with one side of their mouth they talk kindness and they talk spiritual things. And out of the other side of their mouth they break down every commandment and law of God. Well, praise the Lord. You're going to have to learn to hate it if you expect to make it out of this world. Isaiah 5 and 20 says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. That put darkness for light and light for darkness. That put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Amen. They try to candy coat it. They try to make it packageable so that it looks appealing and appeasing. But let me tell you, God understands that there is duplicity there. Amen. The, the psalmist said, I hate the work of them that turn aside. Oh, hallelujah. I hate sin. I hate sin. Job eleven fourteen says, If iniquity be in thy hand, put it far away, and let not wickedness dwell in thine tabernacles or tents. Amen. There needs to be something about us that hates sin enough that when we see it crop up in our own home, we can cast it out with hatred. Oh, hallelujah. Instead of excusing it, instead of trying to make up some sort of logic that allows it, there needs to be something about us that says, I hate sin, I hate iniquity, and I'm going to cast it out of my house. Well, praise the Lord. Amen. That just might require that some men get backbone enough to stand up to their wives and to their kids and say iniquity isn't coming into these doors. Iniquity isn't coming into this house. Amen. It just might require some folks get mad about it and display some hatred against it and say I hate sin and the work of iniquity and I will not stand by and watch my family be destroyed by sin. Oh, praise the Lord. You're going to have to learn to hate it. I said you're going to have to learn to hate it. You're going to have to learn to hate the little bitty sins. Just as much as you hate the big ones. You're going to have to learn to repent over the little bitty things. Just like you have to learn to repent over the big ones. In fact... If you learn to repent over the little bitty things, there will be a whole lot less big things you have to repent over. When you see sin start cropping up in your home, you can tell it no. You can stand up against it with hatred. Amen. Oh, there is nothing wrong with the mama getting fire in her eyes when she sees a daughter come out with sinful things on her body. 
There's nothing wrong with a daddy staring down a young man and saying, no, you will not hang out with them because they will lead you to a path of sin. Oh, there's nothing wrong with a pastor being able to get up in the pulpit and defend righteousness with hatred in his eyes. Oh, I'm tired of church that has to be mamby-pamby. I'm tired of church that has to pat people on the back and make them feel good. Why not have a man get up and preach with some hatred for sin in his heart? I would rather go to a church that is pastored by a man who will stand up and preach with hatred for sin and go somewhere where they make everybody feel good and everybody's accepted and everybody's got a position and everybody's got a place. Well, let me tell you, honey, if you don't get sin out of your heart, there is no place in the church for you. Oh, we need to learn to hate sin to make it. Praise it on, praise it on. Oh, hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost here today. I wonder if, if when we feel the hackles rise up on our neck, when we hear the pastor preach on something, if we shouldn't just realize that what we are recognizing is sin in our hearts that needs to be repented of. If you feel in your spirit something rise up against the preacher and something rise up against the preaching, it's time for you not to walk out that door and get on the phone and get on social media, etc., etc. It's time for you to walk down to an altar, repent of sin, and then apologize to your pastor and get right with God. Well, praise the Lord. We need to learn to hate sin. We need to learn to hate sin when we see it in our families. We need to learn to hate sin when we see it in our friends. We need to learn to hate sin when we see it in the church. We need to hate it, hate it, hate it if we are going to learn to survive. (laughs) Oh, hallelujah. Hebrews 12 and 1 says, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Amen. Let me tell you today, if we are going to make it, we're going to have to lay aside sins that feel good to the flesh. Oh, hallelujah. Now listen. If you don't want to survive, you can love these things. You can love them. If you have no plans to survive, you can fall on the wayside. You can watch, wait, just sit there and wait for the executioner to come by and put a spiritual bullet to your family and to you. Hallelujah. You can just lay there and accept defeat. But if you're going to make it, if you're going to survive, you're going to have to learn to hate some things. Well, praise the Lord, somebody. Oh, I could go on here today. Amen. But let me just say, you're going to have to learn to hate it. I said you're going to have to learn to hate it. You're going to have to learn to hate everything about it. To where when you see it, 
It doesn't matter how bowed over everybody else is with depression and grief and fear. You can stand up to it and let your eyes shine with hatred for it and say, I'm going to hate it even if it kills me. I'm going to hate it until I die. I'm going to hate it until God takes me home. I'm never going to love these things. I've got a hatred for them in my heart. And it is that that will help me survive. Let me just say this and I'll move on. It would be amazing to see some of the pastors that have fallen away lately. If what, what would happen in their lives if they truly had a hatred for some of these things. The fact that it is so easy for them to turn around tells me they never develop hatred for these things. Somehow they have developed alliances between them and the devil. Between them and false doctrine between them and sin. Let me tell you, they are not going to make it. I don't care how good things may look right now. What we have to learn is to survive. We are going to have to learn to hate. Amen, amen. Praise the Lord. You can stand or sit. It's up to you. Praise the Lord. After Brother Colby told me these things, I found out then that he had not always been a Christian. He had not always had the Holy Ghost. In fact, there he did not have it. It was only after he came back and his body was riddled with hatred and maybe even the wrong kind of hatred. And he was experiencing those things in his daily life, trying to battle them. He finally found his way to a church and received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And I asked him, I said, Brother Colby, how did you forget some of these memories or at least put them aside to where they didn't control your life? He said, Brother, he said, I had to learn to hate to survive, but I had to learn to love to live. For me to really have life, for me to have a fulfilling life, I had to learn to love to live. Oh, praise the Lord. Let me tell you today, love does not belong to the charismatics. I, I feel bad that we should even have to say that, but we do these days. Love does not belong to the charismatics. It doesn't belong to the Baptists. It doesn't belong to the Catholics. It belongs to the apostolic. Hallelujah. Amen. It might be a forgotten uh, uh, emotion. It might be a misdirected emotion. Uh, lots of our world today describe love using Greek uh, words and they put it together using Greek reasoning. But I'm here to tell you, we have got to learn to love, to live. Let me tell you some things we need to love. I love the Lord. Matthew 22, 36, they asked Jesus, said, Master, what is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto, them, unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Let me tell you today, if you are going to learn to live, you're going to have to learn to love the Lord. You're going to have to learn to love him. Hallelujah. Oh, when you think about him, tears are going to well up in your eyes. 
When you think about him, your heart begins to pound. When you're in his presence, you begin to weep and shout and run the aisles or whatever you're physically capable of doing. Amen. When you hear people talk about him, love wells up inside of you. When you think about him in the morning, love is what you think about. Hallelujah. If you are going to learn to live, you're going to have to learn to love the Lord. Praise the Lord. Secondly, you're going to have to learn to love your neighbor. Jesus followed those words up by saying, The second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. As thyself. Oh, there's a lot of problems in life that will be solved if we learn to love our neighbor as ourselves, How many of you love yourself? Let's be honest. Let's be honest. Can you learn to love your neighbor as yourself? You're going to have to learn to love to live. In fact, Jesus went on to say, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. That is a weighty statement because it is upon the law and upon the word that the worlds are framed, that they have their very existence. The word of the Lord will survive even once heaven and earth passes away. But if you boil the strength of of the law down to two commandments, it is number one, love the Lord. And number two, love thy neighbor as thyself. I've seen a whole lot of church problems that would have been solved if folks would have learned to love their neighbor as their self. Oh, praise the Lord. How many of you have ever forgiven yourself for something? Can you learn to love your neighbor as yourself? Well, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, somebody. Hallelujah. Can you learn to love them? with the same level of forgiveness, the same level of passion that you would love even your own body. Praise the Lord. You're going to have to learn to love to live. Number three, I love the law. Psalms 119.97, oh how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Oh, praise the Lord. There are some folks that when they see the Bible, all they see is a list of do's and don'ts. All they see is harshness and requirements A, B, and C. But oh, if you're going to learn to live, really live, you're going to have to learn to love the law. You're going to have to learn to love it when it makes you feel good. And you're going to have to love it when you feel conviction from it. Praise the Lord. You're going to have to love it when it makes your children look good and when it calls them on the carpet. Praise the Lord. You're going to have to love it when you're in a spousal agreement, disagreement, and the law happens to make it out that they're right. Praise the Lord, somebody. You're going to have to love it when it's favorable and when it isn't. 
when it tells you yes and when it tells you no, when it gives you the green light and when you hit the red light. Praise the Lord. You're going to have to love it on days that, oh, when you feel spiritual and on days when you don't. When the preacher gets up and preaches and if you feel like he's elevated you to the seventh heaven, as Paul would say, praise the Lord. And then you're going to have to love it in places when you can feel the heat of hell itself. Amen. As it reaches and claws to destroy your life, you're going to have to learn to love the law if you want to learn to live. Number four, I love the church. Acts 20, 28, take heed. This is admonition to ministry. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God with he hath purchased with his own blood. Let me tell you how much God loved the church. He gave himself for it. He shed his own blood for its salvation. And let me tell you, dear saint of God, if you're going to really learn to live, you're going to have to learn to love the church. You're going to love the building that it's in. You're going to love just being here on service line and on off nights. Hallelujah. You're going to love it when you're mowing the grass and when you're cleaning the windows. Hallelujah. You're going to love it when you're cleaning the toilets or when you are sitting in a red hot service. You're going to love the people that make up the church. You're going to love the ones who have lots of brains and the ones who don't have lots of brains. You're going to love the ones that have money and the ones who can never find two nickels to rub together. You're going to love the ones who've got a prayer life and you're going to learn to love even the ones that have always got some problem in making it. Hallelujah. You're going to have to learn to love the church if you're going to learn to live. You're going to have to learn to love prayer time and be early enough to get there when it's going on. You're going to have to learn to love it when the brethren are hollering out with all their minds and the sisters are weeping in prayer and travailing. You're going to have to learn to love the church when there is singing going on that makes you want to weep and cry. And you're going to have to learn to love it. Hallelujah. When you are running the aisles and shouting and leaping for joy. You're going to have to learn to love every message that is preached. And most of all, you're going to have to acquaint yourself with love for an altar of repentance. If you're going to learn to live, you're going to have to learn to love the church. Number five, you're going to have to learn to love peace and holiness. Hebrews 12, 14, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. There's a lot of folks who are going to go to hell because they can never get along with anybody. And then there's a lot of good old boys going to go to hell because they never learned to love holiness. To live, to really live you're going to have to follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. 
you're going to have to learn to love some standards. As it has already been said today, it's described by many as legalism. But to you, it's a, it's a guardrail. It's a hedge of safety. Oh, praise the Lord. They may look at it as rules and restrictions, but to you, it looks like the safety of your home and of your soul. If you're going to learn to live, really live, you're going to have to learn to love holiness. Ladies, when you get in that dressing room, you know the difference between that which is holy and that which is not. And at that secret moment, whether you personally admire that outfit or whether you cast it away from you as fast as you can, that is the mark of whether or not you love holiness. Praise the Lord. When nobody's looking and pastor isn't there, do you walk by that selection of earrings and peruse them? Or do you totally ignore them and not even know they're there? Well, praise the Lord, somebody. I don't even know what Elder Riga teaches on this, but whatever he teaches on sleeve links, you can often find who loves holiness by whether or not they're in obedience to it. Well, praise the Lord. An easy indication of whether or not you love it. Hallelujah. Oh, to learn to really live, you're going to have to get past that to where you love it. To where it becomes easy for you to dress holy. Easy for you to live holy. I'm talking about learning to love to live. In a way, it may seem like I've already touched on this, but you're going to have to have brotherly love. Not just your neighbor, but brotherly love. John 13, 35 says, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. You know, folks can see that. Folks can see that. They're out there looking for life. They're trying drugs. They're trying alcohol. They're trying. You may not be able to put them into a theological chokehold and them love the truth. But if they can see the love you have for your brother and your sister. Oh, praise the Lord. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one toward another. Learning to love to live. And lastly, you must have perpetuated love. John 15 and 9 says, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. Do you continue in it? Do you love like Jesus loved? Oh, it's easy to love like mom and dad love. Or like your son or daughter love. Your family members that are your blood. Do we love like Jesus loved? He loved the publicans and sinners. He loved them. He loved the children. He loved the disadvantaged. He loved the Samaritan. Do we continue in his love? 
This really in its base is a simple message. We read a simple text today. Praise the Lord. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. To survive, you're going to have to learn to hate. There's no way around it. But to learn to live, you're going to have to learn to love. Amen. Let me tell you today, I normally try to avoid personal reference, but I find myself here again today. When we were living in Louisiana, we came across a time that was very hard. And we fought some big devils, praise the Lord. And it always seemed like things would happen when my dad was out of town. Praise the Lord. Had one lady try to commit suicide. I got the phone call. Rushed to her house. I was already on the road and heading in that general direction. I got there before the paramedics got there. They pulled, we pulled her out of the car. Her, her, her skin was already growing cold and hard. Prayed for her. Saw the Lord deliver her. From that, praise the Lord. Saw a lot of things. And brother, let me tell you, my dad had a, had a commitment to Brazil. He was gone a fair amount for that. He had some preaching commitments to help keep things afloat at the church. And it seemed like things always happened when he was out of town. Had one guy come in, he was a... Uh, he was a jumping bean. He, at all appearances, he looked like he was a real worshiper. But there was something that wasn't right about him. And I saw him reach out to touch a young girl in the service, in the middle of a church service, and had to make decisions on the spot. Let me tell you what I started praying. I started praying, Lord, teach my hands to war and my fingers to fight. Because I felt like every time the strength of the house was gone, that's when I had to swing a sword. It just seemed to happen that way. And it got to where it became a part of my daily prayer. I would say daily, Lord, would you teach my hands to war and my fingers to fight? I don't feel like I have the knowledge and ability in myself to learn how to do this. Does anybody have familiar prayers? Do you pray often? It became a familiar prayer to me. Praying, Lord, teach my hands to war, my fingers to fight. And it seemed like in the middle of every prayer, I just couldn't get past it. I would pray and I would seek the Lord earnestly saying, God, I don't know what to do when these things happen. You know, normally you can lean and trust on the man of God. And I was a young man seeing these things happen. I didn't know what to do. I, I, I didn't, I was my dad's assistant pastor at one point and uh, there in the church of Sulphur and I, I had made a commitment that I was not gonna do anything untoward in the church and I was trying my best to find out how to fight. We fought big devils, we fought them in the prayer room. It seemed like we fought them during the worship service. Anytime he was gone, we had this experience where it was like you're slogging uphill. Then we moved to Conyers and jumped from the, fire, the frying pan to the fire. Other big devils to fight. Other big situations and trials. And I remember one day I was there at the church, some personal prayer time. And I was walking across the front of the building. 
And that familiar prayer was about to roll out of me. And I said, Lord, teach my, and I couldn't say it anymore. And I, I thought, Lord, what is wrong with me? I was trying to say it again. And when I did, I felt the Holy Ghost come over me. And I said, Lord, teach me how to love. Because in the middle of all of our fighting, in the middle of the daily battles, in the middle of the daily, the, the, the daily adversary coming against us, we've got to learn how to love, to live. Oh, hallelujah. I hope you don't think, I, I'm not trying to lift myself up today. I'm just telling you, I felt the Lord deal with me to say it's not all about the fight. It's not all about swinging the sword. Sometimes you have to know how to love. Praise the Lord. There have been folks that have come and my natural reaction is to want to draw the sword. And, and you see the devil working in their lives. You see the sinful nature and you want to fight and you want to slay and you want to... But to learn to live, you have to learn to love. Oh, I love my wife. I love my children. I love my church. I love my pastor. I love the family of God. But to really learn to live, you have to learn to love deeply. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Somebody come to the music, please. Amen. You know, we have a, a very important position in the church, each of us, because we are not just ambassadors of ourselves. We get to thinking that the only person we represent is us, who we are, what our personality is, what kind of person we, we think we are, we need to be. Second Corinthians 5.19 says to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing the trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Hallelujah. You know, for us to really be Christians, we might have to hate this world, but we need to learn to love the sinner. Love them enough to tell them about God. Learn to love them enough to look past their appearance, look past the smell of cigarettes and alcohol and all other manner of vice spiritual disease and learn to love them. You know, you'll never save anybody by hating them. If you can learn to love them, love them in spite of who they look like. Praise the Lord. Look at them and instead of seeing a sinner, imagine them being on the seat with you at church. Praising God and amening the preacher. Look past all of that filthiness that the world has placed on them and instead of hating them, why don't you hate the sin and love them to God? 
Oh, I, I know this message, right, this part of my message here sounds charismatic, but it's not charismatic. It's apostolic. It's apostolic. We must love the people in this world. Let them know that there is more to life than how they're living. There is more to life than the filthiness of the flesh and, and going from bad feeling to bad feeling and, and broken dreams and broken promises and broken bodies. You might have to learn to hate to survive. But you're going to have to learn to love to live. I've found that the easiest way to pray through is to help somebody pray at an altar. Oh, amen. You can watch it when a sinner comes to God and they're, they're kneeling over that altar and their heart is, is broken and they're crying big tears and all of that's going on. If you get down with them and start praying just like they ought to pray, you'll find yourself repenting. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Would you help me to walk as I ought to walk? Hallelujah. Help me to forsake all of the things that would displease you. Help me to hate this world and its sin. But help me to love you. You'll start repenting. To learn to love, live, you're going to have to learn to love. Can you stand today? Oh, praise the Lord. Maybe this week we've just got back to the basics. We've talked about the word. Hallelujah. We've talked about faith. I've talked to you tonight about hating some things. And maybe you're in a position where you need to learn to hate some things again. And maybe you're also in a position where you need to learn to love again. It's a whole lot easier to worship God and get involved in a church service when you love Him. When you love everything about Him. Uh, I've watched not just in this church service, but many across the nation and in our own home church. You can see the folks that have somehow got disconnected because they can never lift their hands. It's a natural outcropping of love. I love him, therefore I will serve him. Praise the Lord. And I wonder here at the close of this service, if there's anybody here today that maybe you've come too closely acquainted with things you should be hating. And you need the Lord to convict you again. You need to reassess your position. You need to realign your activities and who you're doing them with and where you're going, the music you're listening to, et cetera, et cetera. Is there somebody here today that says, Lord, I need to learn to hate to survive? And is there someone here today that you're going through the motions? You're acting based out of the general grind of going through another week, another service. But you don't have that love that you once had for the things of God. You might have to learn to hate to survive tonight or you might have to learn to live, to love to live. But if you're either one of those persons, I want you to know these altars are open. 
Maybe you need to reassess your priorities. Maybe you need to realign your actions. Oh, let's learn to hate, to survive, and to love, to live, and to know the difference between when we should do both. Paul said, I've learned to be abased and I've learned to abound. Oh, hallelujah. Can we, can we learn to hate sin today? Can we love on the Lord a little bit here in this place? Come on, if you're coming, why don't you lift your voice? Why don't you cry out to God? Oh, there's nothing wrong with speaking out to Him. Hallelujah. Why don't we search after the Lord a little bit here today? Come on, somebody. Reach out. Hallelujah. Oh, God, if I've been loving things, I should be hating. Help me. And if I've been hating things, I should be loving. Help me. Well, come on, somebody. Let's touch the throne of God. Let's touch the throne of God. Come on, dear saint. Come on, elder saint. Oh, let's not just gloss over things we should hate. And young person, we need to assess our priorities here. Oh, let's love the things of God. Come on, reach out to the Lord.
Yes.